In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope the birds are singing. Hope the sun is shining. The wind is at your back. We've got a great show for you today. We have an incredible author, a speaker, a family man, and a book that everybody should check out. But I'll let everyone listening be the judge of that. As I introduce uh, Will Young, he wrote a book called The Unlikely Felon, a memoir of ambition, elder care, and jail. And I while it is incredible, it's more traumatic of a ride <laughs> through the legal system, uh, a story of people doing their best to help loved ones. And I, there's so much more to say, but I'll just kick it off to you, Will. What do you think about the introduction or is there anything else we can maybe get people aware with before we start jumping into to what's really happening in, in the world here? Well, I think it's uh, it, 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 what happened to me can happen to anybody in, in a lot of different situations. Now, uh, I made a lot of mistakes, but the reality is you find yourself in a, a tough spot. But the thing I try to get across when I talk now is you can come back. You you can, these things can happen to you. And I'm just an average guy, but the, you can come back. You can re, you can rebuild your life. You can redevelop your ideas. You can, um, you still have the, it's amazing. The friends that I do still have now, I've, I've lost a lot of friends in the process too, but um, I found out who my real friends were. So yeah, anything that, uh, goes on that sort of, I guess, note of, of what I try to get across. Yeah, it's that's well said. I, I, I've often found, and I'm curious to, to get your thoughts if you agree with this, that sometimes the most traumatic things that happen to us, if we do the work, we can realize how much we learn about ourselves, our society, and people around us when we come through the other side of that trauma. Have you found that to be true? Yeah, and I think too, I, I noticed in some of your writings, you use the word evolution. And it's, for me, it's been this whole process of um, who I was before all this happened. I'm completely different. And actually, I'm a heck of a lot happier today than I was then. But when you think of going through all this stuff, you've, you've got fear and you've got concern and doubts and uncertainty. And then you get through it and you go, wow, I'm a better person today than I was. But nobody ever, when you're 
going through it or before you never think like that. But once you do, you're like, wow, this is great. I'm, I'm a better person now. Yeah, life has a way of forcing evolution, it seems like, <laughs> and it puts us through the test that we need to go through in some weird way. And well, for, for those people just listening, maybe you can give like a without giving too much away, maybe you can give like sure. a synopsis of, of kind of what happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I start the book off with a knock at my door and it was actually February 9th. It's been, uh, gosh, a month ago uh, or 10 years ago, a month ago, I should say. Got a knock at my door and went to the door expecting Amazon or a neighbor or a kid in the neighborhood maybe selling <laughs> something. Right. And I open the door and it's the police and they come in and they start searching my house. They, uh, My wife and I were both bo both here and uh, they start searching my house. They start boxing things up. They don't really tell me what's going on. Now, they did show me that they had this one page that was a search warrant, which I've never seen a search warrant. So now, now remember, before this happened, my life of crime was I had some speeding tickets and an open container in college, an open container ticket. That, so here I am, a, a young 40s man at the time. And I've got the police in my house and they're doing a search. They're boxing things up. We don't know what's going on. About six hours later, they leave. So what had happened is we had taken care of my grandparents for literally about 15, 20 years. And we had this incredible relationship. They were um, just almost like best friends versus just your grandparents. We had so much fun. We, we uh, did a lot of activities and vacation and all those things, um, just different relationship than normal, but we took care of them. And then as they started to get older, uh, they started to go through all this health issues that elderly people do. They were actually great until about late 80s, 88, mm -hmm. 90. I mean, very healthy. Um, then they started to get dementia and physical issues. And just, uh, you know, make a long story short, the reality is we ended up taking care of them. We took care of the estate. We used money for their uh, caretaking as well as for ourselves. Okay. And we had some step relatives that didn't, uh, they had given us approval. But then they changed their mind and basically said, we don't agree with how you use the money there. They were the ones who called the police. Please show up at my house. Everything just kind of starts to, to roll from that point. Wow. I, it's <laughs> it's there's so much to think about there. I guess if we take it back to the beginning, what was it like? to all of a sudden just have some police come to your house, start rummaging through your stuff. I mean, that seems like a pretty scary to me. Well, you see it on the movies, right? I, right that's right. the only way I'd really seen. And, and the only thing I could think of is I kept saying, can I talk to my attorney? And mm. I had a business attorney Smart. at the time and, and I, I didn't know what else to do. I'm like, cause I, and, and, and it was funny cause when they first came in, I said, do you, are you supposed to be at the neighbor's house? Because there were rumors <laughs> that were going on in our neighborhood and a house around the corner was selling drugs. They had a young, mm. like a, young 20s kid or something. And, and that was the rumor. So I said, are you sure that you're at the wrong house? They're like, no, we're at the right house. And I'm like, that's impossible. And then I even thought about my wife. I'm like, was she having some weird affair behind my back? And now I'm caught in, I mean, these are all the thoughts going through my mind it had nothing to do with my grandparents. I, I, I didn't think anything of that. And when they, when they showed me the warrant, I did see their name on it. I thought, well, what are you talking about? This is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, you just totally lose um, everything, your, your, I guess your beliefs and in, in the system, your, everything that, it, that you've kind of formulated up to that time of what you think is right and wrong and, and being treated fairly. And all of a sudden you're, you're caught in the system. Yeah. Was it, were there, how was the relationship between your step family before they decided to, to turn on you? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and there were a couple of, um, things that had happened in their life. I think that shifted their thinking, but we were mm -hmm. actually good friends. <clears throat> 
Um, they would come out and stay at our house. They're they're in a different part of the country. And I, I think what happened, one of them lost their job. They had all mm. these other things happen. And so uh, money became a big focus right. of, of their life and conversation. And, and suddenly they were like, well, we don't remember agreeing to that. And, and we don't, we didn't say it that way. And, and my mistake was, and I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't give legal advice. I'm not a lawyer, but the thing is, is when you're in this situation and you're a caregiver, you're taking care of somebody, you got to update the wills. You got to get everything in writing. If you're paying yourself, which we were doing, you got to have every little detail. I relied on my word and handshakes yeah. and, and a few emails. And so I was, I was in a bad, it was almost like I had walked into someone's house and they had been stabbed. I went over, picked up the knife and suddenly here come the police. And I'm like, mm. oh, well, I didn't do it. And they're like, sure looks like you did it yeah. <laughs> because you're the one standing here. Like, no, I, so it was a very, very odd to say the least. Yeah. And I think it's incredibly relevant with how many baby boomers and, and how many people are in situations right now that are retiring. And all of us have parents that are getting older and, you know, it must be, it seems to me, and I'll bring this back, but I'll, I'm going to want to widen the horizon for a minute. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that, especially in the West, we have taken this idea of taking our parents or our grandparents and shipping them off to a place where we don't have to see them because it's uncomfortable or it makes us feel a certain way. Or, or maybe we're just too busy and we have our own stuff and we don't have the capabilities or the abilities to take care of them in a way that they need. But it... It seems to me that someone you love would probably get better care if they're with people they love. Is that something that went into your decision making? Absolutely. In fact, and here's the other thing: you you hit okay. George, you hit right on the point of of what I try to get across. When you put them in assisted mm -hmm. living, it doesn't stop all of the issues, and that's what people think. They're like, well, because there's a, there comes a time where you just can't care for them anymore. Um, whether it's the dementia or the physically, you just physically, you're just not trained to do it. But the reality is you put them in assisted living. Well, now you've got to make sure they have their, their doctor's appointments and their laundry's done and all these things because there's different levels of care. Um, some people, I think, have this image that there's this care where they get everything and massages and their toes, you know, their, their nails and toes done. And it's this incredible thing. That's 1% of the facilities out there. The reality is you have to do a lot. And we had both of them in there at the same time. Mm -hmm. So both my grandmother and grandfather at the same time, which only made the situation even harder on us. So my wife is spending probably 10, 15 hours a week at the facility. I'm sit spending 10 hours. We're trying to raise kids. I mean, it's, so that's the hard part too, is not only do we ship people away because we think, well, that's, I don't have to deal with it anymore. Or that's the best thing for them. But now even in that assisted living, You've just compounded the problems. It's even worse. Yeah. It's quite a conundrum we've found ourselves in. And I'm, I'm hopeful that as we move forward, and even though that's not exactly what your book is about, I think that your book has many dimensions because it does shine light on that. And it does broaden the horizon of, of what can happen and what can happen if you try to do the right thing. And, and so it's, it's it's interesting to go from there. So so the the cops come in and they they come in. What's the next step? Is there how do you finally figure out like what's going on? Yeah. So they they finally let me call my lawyer and uh, a gentleman was named Jeff and just he was a great guy. He actually passed away um, since all this happened. But I, I tell Jeff there's police in my house and he says right away, do they have a search warrant? 
And, and this guy's a business lawyer, really, but, but obviously, you know, trained in a lot of different things. And this is probably his first time of having a client call him and, and this is going on. And he said, well, uh, have you said anything? I said, no, they, they really, they've asked me a few things, but I haven't answered. I said, I need to talk to my attorney. They finally let me call you. And he was great. I mean, he just said, you know what, just relax for a minute. Um, he, he made jokes, you know, does it, does everybody have their clothes on? Yeah. He was just, right. just trying to really, I mean, he could tell in my voice, right. I'm like a scared, uh, probably one of the most scared I've been in my life. And he said, I'll, here's the deal. I've got a defense attorney. You, what we need to do is if they don't arrest you today, um, we're going to have a meeting with her and we're going to start to figure this thing out. And it really, it, it made me calm. And, and I even told the police, I said, well, are you arresting us? And they said, no. No. And so they, apparently they, they were come to find out they were searching for all kinds of like other things. Like, was I running illegal businesses? Was I selling drugs? Was I growing marijuana? Was I, I mean, they're, and what I've learned about the legal system since then is that, right. They try to trump up charges. Right. They try to bring as many charges as they can because then the negotiation comes down to a little bit uh, easier for them. But no, he was, he was great. And then he connected me in and we started the process. And, and as I talk about in the book, everybody says, well, if you're innocent, you, you got to go to trial. You got to go all the way. And the reality is that's just not the reality of the court system. The county we were in has a 97% conviction rate. They have one or 2% go to trial. I mean, if everybody went to trial, we'd have to have buildings all over the place with courts and we, we would never get anything else accomplished. So I get that part of it, but that's the reality is once they, once you're in the system, you're in a situation where, um, and the cost too, I mean, the cost of, lawyers and and consultants and all the things that you need to go to trial become a a big factor and so that's where we were at at that point we were trying to figure out do we do we go to trial or do we plea bargain wow that that seems like a pretty traumatic decision to make especially when you are looking back at the way in which you feel you know what? I haven't done anything wrong. I'm doing the right thing here. What is this decision people are pressuring me to do? And like you said, if you don't have the money to go up against the state, which has unlimited money, they have unlimited exactly. lawyers, they have a track record of doing everything they want. And then on top of that, there's this, you know, I, I don't, the lawyers probably wouldn't say this, but I will. It seems like coercion to me. Like you have all these things. You want to fight us or what? Like, exactly. is that, is that how it yeah. felt? Or, I mean, what did yeah. it feel like to be in that situation? Yeah. And it, well, and, and the other thing that, um, that, that you don't realize is that when you're, you're caught in that, uh, I, I don't even know. It's, I mean, obviously it's a nightmare, but you're caught in a situation where, um, you don't know the rules. There's all these unwritten rules. You don't understand the whole, um, process. And, and again, my, my criminal background was some speeding tickets. So I'm not like a, a person who's been through this many times and I know the system and all that sort of thing. But the other thing they do is they penalize you. So if you do go to trial and you lose, I could have had three to five years of prison versus uh, end up with work release, which we can get into what that is. I had no idea what that was, but um, where, you know, jail, let's say a month of jail versus three years of prison. Are you going to roll the dice on that? And my wife was involved too. We had little kids. I mean, was I going to take her into this to where she potentially could have two years in prison, three years in prison versus what actually happened? So, And then even if you are, even if you go to a jury or it goes to trial and you're completely innocent, now you've lost a year, two years of your life, all your money, none of that gets recouped. And yeah, it's pretty yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, and, and there were, and again, I, I, as I say in the book, 
I made a lot of mistakes. I did a lot of things that I, I should have done differently. But the reality is this should have been a civil matter. It, mm. and, it, and it started as a civil matter. And all of a sudden it became a criminal matter. The other thing too with the county we were in is they were very – they had some new um, district attorneys that had, they were really, uh, their, their main agenda was against elderly crime. And so mm. this fit uh, their whole kind of agenda and where they were going, even though it really didn't fit, but they were trying to fit a circle into a square. I mean, we were on the five o'clock news. We, we had all the media was at our house. It was a, you would have thought we were Bernie Madoff uh, ripping off elderly people all over the Western United States. It was ins insane the way they cast this whole situation. So, but, but that was their, their agenda. And if that's their agenda, then that's what they're going to fulfill. Well, I, you know, I, on some level, I think that it would by, be naive to think that you, the state doesn't make, the state makes a lot of money from elderly care. You know, they, they make exactly. a ton of money there. And here comes these people like, well, Hey, you guys are take care of No, you're not. We're not going to give you a tax break ticket. We need the money from these people, you know, and uh, that, that maybe, maybe that's not a hundred percent fair for me to say, but if you look at the stats, you can see what generates money for the state. And you can see the laws that are made in the state are often made to you know, protect that revenue. But that being said, exactly. what, like, what were they charging you with? Like, what was it that made you guys look so bad? Yeah, it, it ended up being one count of theft. That's how they determined it. And so they said that this money we had used over three to five years uh, to cover their expenses, as well as to cover our own. We had all kinds of business problems and life problems. They determined that that was uh one count of theft. Well, here's the problem. When you look at the letter of the law, you've got two elderly people who couldn't speak. At that point, their dementia was at a point where they would not be witnesses. Right. So technically by the, the the letter of the law, we had broken some laws. And that's what our defense attorneys talked about is, and depending on the day you go to trial, what your jury looks like, who shows up that day, are they? do they have elderly grandparents or parents? Have they never dealt with this? Are they a business owner? I mean, we're business owners. Do they get what your what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish? And so, you know, as you mentioned with the state, the state has all kinds of different agendas with elderly. Mm -hmm. and, and I get it. They want to protect them. They want to protect. We knew, we knew of a couple, uh, a situation where their mother had a neighbor end up getting on the, the mother's accounts and was writing checks right. and sure. doing trips and buying cars and all kinds of stuff. Um, that's what they're trying to protect against. But we got caught in, in this and, and, and two with that agenda, we, we were, I'm not going to say local celebrities, but we were known locally. And so they use that as kind of, mm. here's this couple that, uh, do all this good stuff in the community. Let's go ahead and take them down because that will then connect to our agenda of we're tough on elderly crime. And so mm. you can see how diluted this whole thing gets. It's bizarre. Yeah, it is bizarre. And was there, did you end up going and doing some time? Yeah. So, it's, <laughs> boy, it, it, um, and it, we get to work release here right. shortly. Um, we, we were preparing for the trial. Um, and I do have to say that the, the yeah. district attorney did one thing that was kind. Um, the day that we went in to, to do our plea, um, they told the media the wrong date on purpose. So that everybody and their brother wasn't there. And so we walked in, there was nobody in the, in the uh, courtroom. We do our plea of guilty. Um, and then you set for, uh, 
about 30 days later where the judge is going to make a decision on what you're going to get. And so we show up that day. We've got all of our friends, 200 and some up. The, the courtroom's packed. The newspapers are there, the media, everybody. And the judge, it was interesting. I thought he was a really great judge, very kind gentleman, older gentleman, almost he's retired now. He was close to retirement at the time. He was, I think he got the situation, but there was so much influence and media there that he had to be really careful how he, he did this. Um, he started talking about, we have to put people in prison and I'm just going, well, uh Oh, what, oh my, my attorney thought this was going to be a, a little bit of jail yeah. time potentially. And now he's talking about prison and he, and he, but the thing he talked about was every elderly person needs somebody to care for him to, I think he used the word, um, put a pillow under their head mm. and make sure they're okay. And then he said, but we, you guys are, are seen as leaders in our community and we, you need to make sure you follow the law when you're dealing with these sorts of things. So it was kind of an example thing, but he, he basically, he gave me, um, uh, six months of work release, uh, which I ended up doing 85 days. Cause there's, there's this thing called good time. You, you can do yeah. good time in there if you behave, <laughs> which, um, but it's basically set up like a college dorm. And so you have, you've everybody's seen in the movies, or if you've ever been to jail for a night or whatever, you have a cell and it's set up that way, but this is not the case. They have, they call them pods and it's set up as a college dorm room type thing. You have to be there in the evening. You sleep there overnight in the morning, you go to your job or your work. I got to go home because I had a home-based business. So during the day I got to go home, see my wife and kids and, and work. And then at night I had to go back. I had to stay on the weekends and holidays um, and end up doing 85 days. It was a very interesting process to say the least. <laughs> yeah. What a, what an incredible shift in your life to see happen before you, before the final day where the judge and the media is there, was there a lot of relationships that were broken mm. because of the, the spotlight that was on you? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, and I might get emotional. I get emotional about it, but it was, um, you know, you, I mean, I had suicidal thoughts. I was drinking, I was, uh, in fact, I, uh, I, I make a joke in the book, but it, I mean, it's just the reality. We, we walked in and we were meeting with our attorneys before we walked in the courtroom. And one of our attorneys, she says, I'm celebrating 35 years of sobriety today, which was really cool for her. But I thought to myself, I've been sober for eight hours, you know, kind of yeah. thing. That's where I was at. And I was, and, and I felt like I had lost everything. I mean, my reputation, I was going to, I was going to run for mayor of Denver. I had a campaign started. Um, I had started a company that did consulting and politi uh, politics. And, and so I was in, and you know, when your ego's built on, mm. and that's a lesson that I've learned yeah. that, I, that I talk about a lot, when your ego is built on what you've done and quote, who you've become, and somebody takes that away from you, it's devastating. I mean, I, and I was, I was, um, it was suicidal. I was going through and I felt so guilty because my wife had been such a great caregiver. I mean, she took care of her mom and dad, her mom and dad passed away from, from health problems. She took care of both of them. Then she takes care of my grandparents and they called her a granddaughter. And here I was putting her in this situation. And then my kids, you know, what, yeah. are, what's going to happen to them? So you've got all of these different thoughts going through your mind and of things that I had never dealt with, probably things I should have dealt with, but bottom line is I'd never been in this kind of situation before. Wow. What a, what an incredible shift in mm -hmm. modalities and in shift in ideas of who you are. And, and so what was part of the ego dissolution, I guess the fact that people that 
you thought were friends were no longer wanting to talk to you or were there family members that were the same way? Yeah, absolutely. There were mostly friends, or I guess right. I call them associates, but sure. um, it, it, as the one of the media outlets talked about, I was a well-known entrepreneur who had done a lot for nonprofits. That's the way they mm. described me in, in, the, in the city locally. And I was the guy that you could call or I could make a couple phone calls and I could potentially get you a job, get you an interview, raise money, get your charity fund. I, I had that kind of capital. I mean, I had conversations with our, our mayor at the time and our governor, and I, I felt like I was kind of moving up this track to probably be a politician. Thank God that didn't work out. Anyways, I know. Um, but you know what I'm saying? You, you, you're on this track and you think that everybody loves you and everybody's your friend. And then this happened and there were people who couldn't get away from me fast enough, Mm. um, that I had helped a lot that I had done a lot too. And then there were other people, in fact, some of them were surprises stood right by us through the thick and through the thin. And we're right there. Um, besides our kind of core group of four or five people sure. who, who were incredible. I can't even describe um, the risks they took because of all the media. So if you're connected to us, you don't know what the media is going to do. Are they going to try to push you into the situation and say, well, you're friends with Will. So that must mean that, you know, you're a bad person too, or you're doing bad things. Um, so that really helped me even moving forward to gauge what, what is a real friend to me? What is somebody who I care about? And yeah, I knew all these people, but did I really know them? I guess I didn't. And, and it's, that's, a, and, and the reality of who do you really love in your life? Who's, who, who really means the most to you? Who should you be spending time with? I mean, you just start asking lots of questions that I probably didn't ask before. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to think about and, you know, situations like this, or sometimes a close death in the family or any sort of real tragedy usually does one of two things to relationships. It either brings them closer or it pulls them apart. And I'm, I'm curious if <laughs> even though it was such a, you know, an adrenaline rushed hellish situation, you know, do you think that it benefited? I, I, you're, it had to, even though it was crazy, it had to, on some level, open up your wife's, yours, and your children's ideas to what is possible and what you can do to overcome situations yes. that are beyond your control. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, you hit it. You, you, you're, I mean, it's, you're hitting it right at the heart, which is um, this whole, I guess this whole thing about who we are and, right. and why we're here, right. And what we're truly doing. And it, and most people, most couples, let's start with just, yeah. relationship with my wife. When you go through this, you get divorced, you lose your house, you lose everything. We didn't, we have an incredible marriage today that we didn't have before this all happened. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is that this is really the best thing that ever happened to me. And my, other than my marriage, my kids being born, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Now it's taken me a while to get there yes. because you got to get over all that trauma and, and things that happen with it. But the reality is I am such a better parent. In fact, when I was sitting in work release, I remember it was the first night, they, they, the first couple nights you do what they call qualification. They qualify you as, are you, are you crazy? Are you going to mm. hurt other people? Are you normal? Are you standard? And, and then they put you kind of in different pods based on that. And I remember looking up at this exit sign. There was an exit sign. And I said, when I get out of here, I'm going to be the best damn father best damn husband, best yeah. damn friend that I could ever be, you know? And, and it wasn't all suddenly I'd, I'd been about goals and wealth and all this mm. stuff 
And not that those things aren't important, right. but are they number five on your list or number you know one A? And for me, it, that was always my driving force. And all suddenly, I I sat there and went, when I when I get out, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I've I've worked towards. I've coached all my kids' sports. Yeah. I've been involved in all their school. Um, my wife and I we do date nights. We spend uh, every morning we have coffee together. I mean, thank God this happened to me because I'd probably be divorced or dead. To be honest, I don't know. Yeah, it, it really gives you insight into the propaganda or it gives you insight into the narrative that is given to us. Like a lot of times we'll see things on TV and then we not only do we get the narrative of what the media wants us to see, but we begin to understand how judgmental we can be or how easily swayed we can be or maybe jealous we can be like, you know what? I bet you that guy kind of deserved that. I got that from him, yeah, you know, or exactly. It's so crazy yeah. to think about. And it, but it's beautiful because I, I think it shows real growth when you find yourself in a situation of your road to Damascus moment or your come to Jesus yeah. moment. And you're like, okay, I'm here. Yeah. What am I going to do? And when yeah. you start talking about changing your life, changing your goals, and not only changing them, but acting upon them, whether it's coaching your kid's team or, you know, making sure the words you use to become a better husband or a better friend or become a friend people would want to have is it speaks volumes of your character. And it, I think it speaks to what the world is trying to teach you there. I, what, what, what do you think are some of the biggest lessons that your children learned? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, it's one of the reasons I wrote the book was for them. Right. Right. I mean, that was. I, I, someday, now they were, in fact, one of my, my kids wasn't born yet, but the other ones were, uh, let's see, five and five and two. Wow. Um, that's tough. And, and thank God though. I mean, it, yeah, it was, you know, if they were 17 and 14, that's probably a different conversation, but, mm -hmm. um, someday I knew that, that this media is going to live forever. It's there yep. forever and they're going to find it and their friends are going to find it and they're, who, who knows who's going to find it. But I wanted them to know the real story. Not with the mm -hmm. meat, like you, you touched on it, the, the whole evolution of the media in this process, yeah. we think that we're yeah. getting told the real story <laughs> and, and all, and all of these things. And in some cases, maybe we are, maybe it's a 50, 50 deal, but the reality is a lot of these things are not true. And, and for my kids, it was like, um, I want to write the story, but also as I've seen them grow and evolve, they, we, we preach all the time. You can overcome anything. Yeah. Anything in this life. And I'm an example. And it's not like just dad saying, oh, that's my dad telling me I can do all these. And it's like, no, no, no. Listen, I went to jail. I built things up to a certain point and, and literally crumbled in front of my eyes. And, and I had a couple of choices. Um, I, I talk about Shawshank Redemption. I love the movie. But Andy, the character that Tim Robbins plays says, you know, get busy dying or get busy living. And it was like, for me, I literally, I, I'll, I, I, so many times wanted to commit suicide, but I just kept fighting through and fight. And that's why I tell my kids, I say, you know, let's address mental issues. Let's talk about uh, depression. Let's talk about these things. By the way, I've dealt with it, but the bottom line is you can come back. You can make a comeback. You can, you can rebuild again. If, if we can, you can. And so I, I've seen it in their schoolwork and their, uh, you know, in their athletics and things when the hard times have hit, they just keep, they pull through and I just kind of almost wink at them. Like, you know, your, your dad made it through the, oh, look at this. Uh, you can, you can do this. You can do this. Yeah. And I think it just gives such a unique perspective because sometimes as some people have been very fortunate to be born with an ability to 
create, whether it's a business or whether it's accomplished goals. And a lot of those, sometimes a lot of those people become very accomplished, but they forget or they <laughs> never really go through the turmoil of, you know, a total collapse or a total breakdown or having everything ripped away from them and then being forced to build back in a different direction, or you can even say build back better. And when exactly. you talk about getting to the point of all of suicidal thoughts, like now you're entering the realm of mental wellness and you're under, you're, you're almost rebuilding your models of the world. And only then I yes. think, can you begin to empathize with people that are in that state? And a lot of people find themselves in that state, yes. regardless of what color they are, how old they are, what they've accomplished. And going in that state while incredibly frightful and overwhelming is almost a gift because it allows for empathy. It allows for you to go, yeah. oh, my God, I can see this guy over here. You know, what? I'm going to go talk to him for a minute, you know, or exactly. you talk about how your mental map has changed after going through that situation. Yeah, you, I mean, you're hitting on everything. It's it's this uh, it, and there's times where I feel like it's an out of body experience. Yes, almost. like because yeah. who I was from who I am, and I catch myself even thinking things that I used to think back then, beating myself up because I haven't achieved this or I haven't done that, and yeah. all of these, all of this stuff that society keeps telling us. Here's what you need to do, or social media. You, when we look at, you know, they're living mm -hmm. this incredible life, and I'm not, and and it's just like it's so. I think it can be so overwhelming. But for me, it's, and I've broken it down into some different tools and techniques. The way I start the day off, I do meditation. Never nice. did meditation before. I started meditating. I started um, journaling a ton, even more than I had ever done before. But just using tools to say, okay, if my paradigm has been completely changed then how do i rebuild this life and i didn't want to be like well now i don't now i can't because there's so many doors that were shut to me okay sure, once you're sure. a convicted felon yeah. you can't even you can't even shoot a gun right you can't go to you, you can't do any any there's so many things you can't do but even professionally there's so many things that were the door was shut on me and instead of saying oh you know this is this is horrible what do i do i said well what are the doors that are open what can I do? You know, write a book. I can do talks. I can help people. I'm, I'm getting messages and, and reviews on the book, which are fantastic. And people are saying, hey, I just had a conversation with my, my family about my elderly parents this last Saturday. I used your book as an example. I'm like, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Somebody else said, hey, I was a burned out entrepreneur like you, ready to, ready to take my life. And I, I read your book and I, and I feel like I can get through this. I mean, I'm getting stuff like this. And that's what makes me go. That's what I was put here to yeah. do, right. Is to, to get through all this stuff so that I can start to help. And I can show that that paradigm can be shifted and you can rebuild, you can make your life what you wanted it to be maybe from the beginning. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me to see how sometimes, you know, life just gives you a shove like over here, dummy. You know, and <laughs> or a wrecking ball. Mine yeah, was a wrecking, no, a wrecking ball coming ball. through my living room. Uh, my yeah, <laughs> yeah, an actual yeah. <laughs> wrecking ball of law and order yeah. and and love and family and it's so interesting. Like so many of those emotions are so powerful. Like love for family, um, goals for life, ideas of family, and it's it's interesting to me to get to see how as an author as an entrepreneur turning to an author and now inspiring a different group of people or touching a different group of people that maybe you never thought you would, you would interact with. What is something that you learned in the process of writing this book 
that kind of surprised you? Oh yeah. There's <laughs> so uh, I laugh because there's uh, just so many things I would have <laughs> nice. never predicted in, in a million years, but I think um, it, it surprised me that I could, could be okay with not trying to be great all the time. Mm -hmm. That really, that surprised me because I thought my ego was so built up that I couldn't survive if I wasn't on this certain track and doing that, that, that surprised me. It surprised me that I could be a good husband and, and a good father. I, I grew up with a single mom, real dysfunctional family. And it surprised me that I could figure this thing out and, and I'm still working on it. I mean, I got sure, teenagers. All of them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah. still, I'm still working on it, but it surprised me that I can, I can do this and I can have balance in my life. And I can exercise and be fit and I can eat well because you just get so stuck on who you think you should be or who you're going to be. Um, that surprised me. I think it surprised me some of the close friends who stuck with us. And, and because I didn't know, like we talked about earlier, I didn't know who was going to stick with us, who was who didn't want anything to do with this. So some of those people surprised me and, and overwhelming surprise. Even to this day, they've helped both my wife and I have our own, our, our own business. And they've helped us with contracts and with opportunities. They risk their reputation in a sense to do that. That was surprising. Um, yeah, just so many things like that. Um, yeah. Do you like what? What do you think it is about our society that projects the only path of success is? wealth accumulation and youth like what what is that do you has that something that's been accelerating or is that just because of the age we are what do you think that those forces are that are that drive our young people to see these metrics as success well I, i'll go back to a little bit of okay. your, the writings that i've seen on on what you've written about and fear like i've seen yeah. you write about fear and suffering and that whole process and i think i see so many people that to your point, are, are living a life they were told to live. They yeah. might be in a dead-end job. They've got a dead-end relationship. Their kids are, are horrible or not doing what they want to do. And and all they want to do is watch Netflix and get on Facebook or whatever. You know what I mean? It's and, and I think, and maybe that's the downside of capitalism, right? We've got we've got all these entrepreneurs starting all these cool companies, mm -hmm. it's cool apps. And and I knew when so we started the first 56k ISP in Denver back in the day. Okay, that's when that was fast speed. Yeah, okay, this is 1996. Uh, for uh, now, you guys know I'm a dinosaur, but um, <laughs> that was fast speed. But I saw this whole thing, and I remember going, "Man, there's so many great things about the internet, but what about this mm. or that?" And you've seen it now. You've seen it to where people are just stuck. So what do they turn to? They turn to alcohol. They turn to to drugs. They turn to uh, cheating on their, their mate, whatever they're, they're turning to all these things instead of having conversations with their wife and their kids and being very honest and saying, listen, just because society is telling us all this stuff doesn't mean we have to go down that track. I tell my kids all the time, find something you're passionate about and, and go do it. You know, if you want to be a lawyer, be a lawyer, but don't be a lawyer because you think you're going to make a lot of money and it's going to be great for you. Do it because that's what you really want to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and you want to change the world or you want to defend people, whatever it is. And I think that's to your point, again, on, on that fear and, and people almost unconscious, I think for some people, right. Versus mm -hmm. conscious. Yeah. And, and we get stuck in that. And, and also I think we're bored. I mean, think about a hundred years ago, people yeah. talk, you know, they talk about, I said a hundred years ago, you were worried about clean water. 
you were worried 150 years ago, you were worried about food. I mean, my grandfather would tell stories of his grandfather talking about on the farm how we were worried if we'd have food next week. Now, how many of us worry about that? I mean, there are people obviously have food problems, but for the most part, who's worried about, I, I can go next, I can go down the street and I can buy food. You know, I could, and we're almost bored. We, we just, we don't have the things to push us to be better mentally and physically. And um, except for po podcasts like yours or books out there or shows or things. And I'm a big podcast junkie. I'm a, I read everything. I listen to everything, but I love it because I'm building my mind. I'm building mm -hmm. my energy, my positive. I think people, they're influenced by all of that negativity and they are, I, I say it all the time, dead end marriages, dead end jobs, dead end lives. And here's, here's what you have. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting paradox because it seems like in a way we're so decadent, but yet we live a life of scarcity and maybe not <laughs> scarcity of food or scarcity of things, but yeah. scarcity of spirituality or scarcity of meaning. And it's, it blows my mind because everything's at your fingertips right now. And it seems mm -hmm. to me, if you, you can start a podcast, you can write a book, <laughs> you can do all these things you could potentially, you as an individual could potentially reach a million people by starting a YouTube channel. Yeah. Whereas a hundred years ago, you could maybe speak at the town hall meeting if you were influential. And so I, I'm hopeful that what we're seeing is a change in the way we see ourselves interacting in the world we live in. I, I And I, hearing you explain to your kids about what they can be and how they could do it is inspiring to me. And I think to all the other listeners, like that is a shift we need to see because when you act from a place of scarcity, you're scared, you're greedy, you're selfish, and you're fighting for a battle that helps no one but yourself. Yeah. What, 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 if, if we could just stay on this topic for a minute, mm -hmm. what, what do you think, what do you think has, changed in your life about your ideas we'll do this can you define what you think influence is and to define how your ideas of scarcity are oh, yeah. well influence for me i think we're all influenceable i, yeah. I think it's silly and i had a, a mentor a very successful business person said that all the time it was like you know listen will whatever you're around whatever you put in your mind and your body whatever you're listening to whatever you're watching that's going to influence you. We're just, it's just the way it is. I mean, there's one out of uh, 10,000 people that probably has the, the will to not be influenced on that, but we all are influenced. So if you're watching stuff, if you're hearing things, if your friends are taught, the people you're around, your family, that's what's going to influence you. And to me, then you, you know, that you get into the scarcity thing is right. It, it goes back to how people are, uh, I guess, evaluating or judging things, right? Because if you only judge it financially, well, then if your finances aren't where you want things to be, then you're going to be devastated. If you're only judging it, and we all know people like this, we all, oh, you're judging it just on how you look. Yeah. Maybe if yeah. you're overweight, underweight, uh, losing your hair, I identify with some of that. Um, your, your hair's get, mm -hmm. you, you get too much hair, not enough hair, you're too thin, you're too fat, you're, whatever that thing that that you're evaluating on becomes that scarcity because like you mentioned we we have plenty of food we mm -hmm. have uh shelter we have all of these things but the scarcity is what is inside yeah it's that agreed. emotional right it's it's that lack of of love and for me i that was two things i couldn't do before this i wasn't very good at showing love i would say it 
but I wasn't real good at showing it and I wasn't good at accepting it. And that's why I challenge, um, I'm, I'm going to be launching some things later this year, but for men over 40, I think that we have this weird thing where we just cannot accept love. And if you give me a compliment or you tell me you love me, I kind of go, do you? <laughs> or, or what do you want from me? Or, yeah. or whatever, you'll fill in the blank. But I think there's this, this, uh, this, this interesting thing about, can you accept love? And I thought it was silly, like woo woo stuff. I'm <laughs> like, that's kind of, that's yeah. woo woo. But the reality is I've really, and I work on it every day, just accept that someone loves you, that someone appreciates you, that um, we did a uh, last night, a volleyball banquet for my daughter, who's ending her club volleyball nice. career. And the parents sat there and said, you know, Will, we, we love being around you. We, we love your, the relationship with you. And it, and it kind of, I went to, Oh, do you, that's skeptical <laughs> inside of me. And then I went, God, I love, I love you guys too. I love that. I love that we have this relationship and it took me a long time because it maybe it was my ego. I had to maybe in order, I felt like I had to push my ego down in order to accept it. But that's, that's the reality for me is if you accept that love, your life is going to get so much better. So much better. Yeah, I agree. And it reminds me, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday and we were talking about medicine and he said something that he just said it in passing, but I thought it was so profound. And I think it speaks to the same transformation you're talking about, but he just used it in a, in a, in a reference to medicine. And what he said is, you know, George, it, it just seems odd to me that we study the brain when we study all these degenerative diseases and even in medicine, all we do is study diseases. Like the world might be better if we studied people that are performing at an optimal level and then figure out it from there. And when you were talking about, you know, for so long, I just thought about all these things and my ego. And then I started accepting maybe people, maybe I can be loved or maybe that's not weird. But when you start seeing things from this level over here, or, yeah. or maybe it's just a, a perspective switch, you know, and maybe yeah. that can only happen when you go through traumatic events like you've been through, maybe that's you're getting slapped around a little bit and you say, wait a minute, I've been thinking about this all wrong. But it does seem to me that, you know, whether it's the traumatic event you went through, the way in which you change the love for your relationships, maybe the way you redefine love, maybe the forcing of you to have to redefine who you are from the ground up made that perspective. But what like, let's say someone found themselves on the edge of trauma, whether it was through a, a, a long-term family planning issue, whether it was the collapse of a business or the collapse of a relationship, knowing what you know now, knowing what you've been through, what advice would you give to someone that finds themselves facing a threshold guardian? Well, that was one of the reasons I wrote the book right. too, is I wanted to save I, <laughs> one of the things I talk about is listen, you don't have to go through this stuff and end up in jail or whatever, whatever the situation is before you make those changes. And for me, it's when I, when I think of the advice and, and again, I'm, I'm not an expert in, in any of these fields. I haven't studied all the research, but the reality is the past 10 years now I've worked every day on mention the meditation I met on the journaling on just talking on uh, therapy, you know, talking to somebody, I, I encourage people all the time. It used to be you have a therapist because you're you're messed up and the stereotypical <laughs> thing. It's just not true. Right. And a therapist can be different levels. It can be a really good friend, a counselor. It doesn't have to be a psychiatrist who's going to try to pump you with a bunch of stuff. But the, the reality is, I, I think that's where most people are at is how do I start 
on a day-to-day basis to do the little things that are going to allow me to make the changes. Cause you know, as, as uh, I remember who said it, but they're like, if you try to change 34 things on the first day, you're not going to change anything and you're going right. to be stuck in the, the same situation. But for me, that's when I just encourage people and, and through the stories that I tell in, in the book, but also just here's an example of how uh, I, I didn't know anything about meditation. What is this about? This is so bizarre, but I, I love that now. I, I mean, I, I do 20, sometimes 30 minutes a day I've built up to, and I love that time to just get into my own head and figure out what's working and what's not working and how grateful I am. And, and all this great gratitude too. I think there's just not enough gratitude out there. I don't think people are instead of, they're so worried. And you, you touched on it earlier. They're so worried about what's lacking. Mm. They're focused on what's lacking instead of what's working. Yeah, Do I have a, a great relationship with my partner? Are my kids doing well? Am I healthy? You know, and you're always going to have areas of life. I think it's Brooke Castillo, Castillo that says uh, uh, life is a 50-50 deal. And I, I really believe it's like no matter how much money, how much good looking, how much fame, whatever you are, 50% of the time, it's going to be a struggle. And 50% of the time, it's going to be fantastic. And the sooner you start to deal with that, I think the easier when those problems and trauma hits, the easier it is to work through it. So. Yeah, that's that's what I love about your book. Like the, It really allows people to have this shift. You know, I, I can, this is a question I was thinking about, and I'm curious to get your opinion. Have you spoken to someone and told them, Going to jail was actually a great thing for me. And if and if you have, like, what was the look on their face like? You know what I mean? Because that's such a shift. Like, they probably think I was drinking heavily that day. <laughs> um, yeah. It, well, it, it, you, you uh, they do. They look at me like, how is that possible? <laughs> but that's such a. That's. A, I wish so, people it, could imagine that. Like, it's just so bizarre. That. You know, and and you're and I was in. You, know, I, I mentioned they 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 qualify you for where where you're going to yeah. be at. And I was with all the people who they had DUIs and they hadn't paid child support. And so they, they were people who had broken laws, but they weren't right. going around uh, pillaging and, and hurting people and things like that. But it, it, I just, I started to actually have friendships in there. I was there for yeah. 85 days and I started to help them. And I, and I would, and I would read I'd, my success magazine and my books. I, I had uh, Victor Frankel's book, uh, Mansers for me. Meeting, my, one of my favorite books in the world and they they come to me and go what what the hell's that about and i'm like and i'd start to tell them um and so it just came down it came and as you you talked about it before it's i, I do i look at this as horrible the worst thing that could ever happen to me or do i look at this as this is my opportunity to redo it was yeah. kind of a redo now now yeah. you know you lost a lot of things but at the same time it's like i can redo my life i can start over and I can do it the way I, I wanted to do it, or I should have done it, or, or whatever it is. And that's why I think when I, and, and again, it's taking me time. I and mean, the first week out of work release, I was sure, not, this was sure. not the conversation I was having. Right. right. Um, and I was embarrassed. You know, you're just embarrassed. You feel embarrassed. But the bottom line is over this time, I've been able to just on a daily basis build to that point of saying, jail was good for me. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, and I'm not encouraging everybody. Right. Right. I'm not saying you that. should go do it or try go, to find go, go yourself. Break there. A bunch right. of, go break a bunch of laws. And, uh, no, no, no. Um, no, but, but what is it in your life that is causing that sort of situation to where you can redo 
I mean, that's yeah. the best word I've, it's a do over for me. Yeah. Yeah. Getting the opportunity to rebuild a foundation that may have some shaky scaffolding is an incredible gift, especially if you do it consciously. And like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of shame involved in that, but absolutely, it, it, it really, once you do the work and, and you have to do the work, whether it's talking to a therapist, whether it's meditating, whether it's rebuilding your relationships, like the that is re doing the work is rebuilding the foundation. And most people that do that have the same mindset of like, oh, you know, it was so hard and I would never choose to do that. But I'm glad that it happened because it wipes away the judgment, the judgment part of you. It wipes away all these these things that you thought were beautiful views, but were really just rose colored glasses. And you're like, Oh, that was just muck on the window. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't a rainbow. That was an oil stain. What am I doing? Exactly. You know? And, and so in, in some ways, like I've, I've heard people say, you know, uh, things like, or I, there's a, there's a Chinese saying, this is may you live in interesting times. And like, oh, yeah. that's kind of the metaphor for like, yeah, I hope some, I hope some horrible things happen to you because that's when you learn <laughs> yeah. who you are. That's when you learn yes. what you're really capable of. And, and I, I love the fact that in you've made friends that at a level that you would have probably looked down on before. And you learned so much about yourself. Absolutely. What 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 do you think, in your opinion, is the best part of the relationship with your wife that has changed? Oh wow. Uh, I I am such a better husband. <laughs> I I I literally and, and I don't, I don't remember who I, I got this from, but it talked about um, creating better experiences for the people around you. Like, how do you make yeah. whatever you're doing? I mean, if you're cleaning the basement <laughs> or you're, you're uh, whatever, or you're on a trip to Vegas or whatever you're doing, how do you make that experience better for everybody around you? And that's what I've really been focusing on. It's like, how do I, how do I help my wife? Is it by doing all kinds of chores today that she didn't expect me to do? Is it by dropping off flowers at her office uh, that she didn't know I was going to do or um, writing her a little note or whatever things that, and, and my wife has always been, she's been just fantastic and just, she's naturally very loving and giving. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that's just not the case. And maybe that uh, selfish is probably another word. I was always very self-centered. That's probably a, a great word. Narcissistic. I would throw mm. all these words out <laughs> when describing, uh, and again, recovering, I'm still recovering, but, um, it's that, I think that's what our relationship has become because I've kind of met her where she was working so hard. If you, you had a, a pendulum, it's like, she was working so hard and yeah. I'm working like this instead. It's like, let's meet in the middle. And let me uh, treat you the way you deserve to be treated. Like when we were dating, like yeah. when we first fell in love and, and it's, and it's changed. And that's changed me so much too, because I've given so much more love. I've accepted the love. And, and, and now we talk about more things. We have coffee every morning. We, we talk at, at night. We, we just, we have this, and, and not that we don't, disagree or <laughs> things sure, happen. everybody, everybody. But yeah, like everybody does. Right. But because of that, because I think I was willing to work on it, to be a better husband, to be a better father, to really be committed. Maybe that's a better word committed um, all in. That's another word I'd use, but because I was willing to do those things, 
that has made our relationship so, so, so much better. And I'm so glad that she was patient with me. Yeah. And I always tell, totally. I tell, I tell some of the younger couples, I'm like, just maybe you got to wait till he's 40 or 50, <laughs> but I, I hope you will. Cause us, and maybe it's a, ma- a male thing. I don't know, but we just tend to mature. And I know I've seen some of the data on that. Our brains develop and mature at a later time than females. We all know that, but I think that kind of plays into it. It's like, how do I have a great relationship um, when I'm just not even maybe ready myself or mature enough myself. But yeah, that's, that's been fantastic. Yeah. This, this idea of communication and honesty, it seems to be something that goes with traumatic situations. And, you know, I, I think sometimes a lot of people who are oriented into building businesses or have this idea of success as an accumulation of wealth, and there's nothing wrong with it, but Sometimes, you know, there's a saying that says you can you can't serve two masters. And if you're in a relationship yeah. and you have kids in a family, as a man, that should be your priority. But sometimes, mm-hmm. at least for me, I can't speak to anybody else, but for me, I struggle with the idea of like, well, the more I provide, the better family man I would be. So I should pour exactly. myself into this container yes. over here. And yep. then there, I, I know I'm not around here. I know this, but if I just keep pouring myself into this container, soon the couple overflow and everybody will have enough. But that that kind of becomes a sort of lie that you tell yourself because you've gotten far away from the relationship now, and now it just becomes something you're doing. And you know, when 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 that picture is shattered, uh oh, you know, now, now you got to yeah. start having those real relationships. But that's a, that's a richer relationship, and it's better than than this other thing. It's better to have one unit than two individuals trying to live separate lives in one house. That's that's what I have found in my life. And it's it's similar. it's similar too to to like we we're similar generation uh, right. to how people grew up. Um, the the man went and he worked right. all day, and you hardly saw him, and the wife took care of all these things. And that was kind of our image. And so to your point, it was like, if I, and and that's, I think how I felt too is, well, I'm bringing in the money. I'm, I'm providing all this stuff. Why do I have to do anything else? Because that's, that's what a man does. And it's like, well, no, no, a real, a real man is somebody who, who loves and takes care of their family and their community and their friends and, and all of those things. And yes, is providing important, of course, but providing is in a lot of different ways, right? Providing is not just financial. And that going back to the whole thing with society is we need more people that are providing emotionally in our communities. And I see that locally. I see that with our charter school and my daughter's high school and all. It's like provide more emotionally. You know, if you're only focused on that, you're going to bring in money and you're going to work a hundred hours a week. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what the, the world has plenty of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the world needs something a little bit deeper. Yeah. And on, on some level, like I, when I, when I pan back and I factor in all these cool people that I'm talking to, and I factor in some of the things you're telling me about stories. And, you know, when I factor in the idea of providing for your daughter is more than just money, but spending time and doing like a breakout room or just providing time to be with someone you love and be there wholeheartedly, you know, then I think you, you, you get to redefine what those words mean. And, and in a way, I think that's what society is doing. I know there's all this crazy stuff like pronouns, but it's still <laughs> redefining situations. Yes. Yes. And if we can redefine words, maybe we could 
maybe we need more books like yours to redefine what relationships are, redefine what providing is, redefine what it means to be a father, redefine yeah. what a traumatic experience is. Well, and it's honesty too. It's being, uh, it, for me, this book was 100% honesty. And that was, that was initially the hardest part for me was how do I, uh, cause I, I would always kind of hid, hidden things. And I, it was, I just, yeah. I just never was really being completely, totally honest. And, and, yeah. in, and when I wrote this, it was like, I'm going to tell it all the embarrassing yeah. things, the yeah. things that I feel humiliated, shame, use <laughs> great word shame. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it because if more of us start to do this again, yeah. I'm just, I'm just an average guy in Western United States. I'm, I'm no one special, but if I can say, look, here's honestly where I screwed up. Yep. Here's yeah. what I need to work on. Here's uh, the honest truth about my life. Everything doesn't work perfect. One of my friends back in the day said, you're too buttoned up. And I was like, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but I get it now. It's like, you're not letting anybody in. And, and that's how, what you've got going on is people, they're putting up this, this shield and they're hiding behind things, whether it's social media or, or their job or whatever they're hiding instead of just coming out and saying, look, this is honestly me. And that's why I'm all for, I, I'm all for people being who they want to be. I was on an interview yeah. last week and somebody asked what ideally, how do you see the world? What, if, if you could change everything, what would you change? And I said, let's just start loving each other. Let's just be who we want to be. Love who you want to be. Do what you want to be. Dress how you want to dress. I don't care. Be you, but be honest and authentic. Stop yeah. hiding from all this stuff and stop lying to yourself. People mm. are lying. It's like, be honest. Yeah, that's a big part of, and I think it does come back to shame or it comes mm. back to scarcity or maybe back to fear is, is that we want to be loved and we're afraid of if we, if we show people who we are, then we're vulnerable yeah, and they may exactly. not love us, but that's yeah. the opposite. Like, even though there's probably some of that there, you know, if you look back at to like, let's just say we talk about the biography of uh, Carnegie or we yes. talk about yes. these, these robber barons. Yes. It talks about how incredible they were. They did all these <laughs> things, but like yeah. you talk to their kids, their kids like that guy was horrible. I hated that guy. I want exactly. You know, yes. and it's like, it's so oh, true. It's, I see. That, that was the image of society. Right. And I think it yeah. still goes on today. Sure. It's just done a little bit differently. Uh, maybe political correct. I, I'd use all kinds of different words sure. with it. We hide behind all kinds of right. different things, but it's the same sort of formula that's happened where um, we believe, or somebody wrote back in 1930, that this is what life is supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to act. And it's just so false. You know, and we're finding that out with diet, right? I yeah, mean, totally. there's okay. All this stuff we've been told we were supposed to eat and not eat and drink and not it was because somebody wanted to sell something, whatever. Point being is that, you know, how, how can we get to that honest part of who we all are and start engaging in more honest conversations? And, and how is that going to help us with our family and our community and our business and, and so forth? So, yeah, I, I love to look at things on a longer timeline. You know, it's, it's hard because we all look at our own life and we see where we were or, Maybe when you teach your daughter how to ride a bike, you envision yourself learning how to mm -hmm. ride a bike. But if you can just pan back and go, oh, 
So I am part of this giant lineage of beings <laughs> and we're getting better. Like we're getting a lot, we're becoming a lot more honest. We're starting to treat each other a little better. Yes. And you know, there's still this generational trauma that's happening, especially as like a Gen Xer. Like you, I can see my parents and I can exactly. see millennials and like there's this, people don't know anything. <laughs> these people are dummies. And we're yeah. like the bridge, like, okay, no, no, some of these guys are right. <laughs> need some discipline. Some, you know, and so. Yeah. But I, it's such a beautiful time. Yeah, I tell my kids all the time. They, they, when they, they see me coming, they, oh God, here comes dad with his positivity. Yeah. Self-development. But I say, you guys realize we're on a blue dime going 63,000 miles an hour through space in a big circle. I mean, if we just thought about some of this stuff, maybe yeah. we'd treat people differently. Maybe we'd have a different attitude during the day. I mean, I, you know, it's, and there's a bunch of cliche stuff around it, but, but that's the reality, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's what I talked about in the book. I mean, we've been through, my wife and I gave away a, a child at 16 years old. Um, and then she's back in our life. We now have a grandchild. Um, and that got into all kinds of issues around uh, keeping children and adopting children and all this stuff. And can you, I was 15 years old. Can you imagine you think your life is ruined because I'm not following the way I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to go to college, get married, have a kid, go to a mm -hmm. dead end job, all this stuff I'm supposed to do. And here I am 15 years old and I, I, I'm not going to be able to do that stuff I'm supposed to do. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what I've continued to talk about is how do we, how did we get ourselves on kind of this track of focusing on not only the narcissistic things about myself, but what's in it for me financially? How do I get rich? How do I do all this stuff? Instead of how do I help my fellow man? How do I become a better person? Um, what, how can I, what are the skills that I can develop to reach my goals, but also to help my community, my family, the world in general? Yeah, that's what do you think that's just a direct reflection of the people, our leaders and the people at the top is this idea of here's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's just been ingrained in some, in, in, in so many generations that mm -hmm. this is how we do it. Um, that there's not a, a, a lot of thought about maybe why we do it mm -hmm. instead of, and I know those are big things that, you know, there's a how and a what and a why. I think right. we get caught in how and what so much because it's more yeah. um, analytical. It's more, it's almost like engineering driven. It's easier. Um, kind it's of. easier versus why. And right. I even ask myself that question all the time. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I creating this product? Why am I doing this talk? Why, 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 why? Because the why tends to, to lead, um, in the right direction. I think companies are getting better at that. I think people and communities are getting better at it. It's like, why are we here? Why are we doing what we do? Yeah. Forget about what, forget yeah. about how right. everybody, right. I can watch a YouTube video for 15 minutes and figure out how, <laughs> right? Yeah, you can totally for pretty much. And I'll be this good at, at, at something, but isn't that the reality is why, why are we doing this stuff? Yeah. And it's, it can be uncomfortable because it brings up a lot of issues that some people don't want to talk about. Why are we doing this? Well, we're doing it for the customer. Well, then why aren't we providing better service? Because <laughs> exactly. it costs too much money. Well, then why are we doing it? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. You know, and, and I, I've, I think that companies are even starting to gauge and, and measure things a little bit differently, right? Versus just what's our quarterly uh, returns and, and what's our monthly profit and what's, what's this? How about how happy are our employees? Mm -hmm. um, how, how efficient are we with 
um, our relation, vendor relationships and our customers and, 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 and what are we doing that makes sense that's not financially driven, community driven, right? Corporate responsibility has become a, a bigger factor now, thank goodness. But it, that's the reality. It's like, why are we in the community? How do we yeah. help just to make money? It can't just be about just making money anymore. I mean, we know that now. It's got to be something deeper. So, um, and I think these are challenges. I think I, I think we can overcome them. Yeah, and I, I think the book you've written does a good job at beginning to break that down. And and sometimes I, I think that you know we're all part and parcel. Like each one of us is similar. Like the, the human being is a small part of the community. The community is a small part of the town. The town is a small part of the state. The state is the small part of the nation. But the same things that happen in our individual lives are often a direct reflection of what's happening in the country at a larger scale. And so when an individual like yourself writes a book and is very honest and telling about some things that, that really helped them, even though there's things mixed in it that they're not proud of, mm -hmm. I think it speaks volumes of what's happening in our nation. And it's, it's the contact like we're having today. It's the people calling and reaching out to you saying, Will, thanks for writing this. Like it helped me with my family. Hey, Will, thanks for writing this. I, I found myself in a situation I wasn't proud of. And thanks for talking about it. Like yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's like the pebble in the pond. You could throw a tiny little pebble into a, a nice flat stream of water and all these ripples, you know, emanate out. And yeah. that's what you're doing. That's what the book does. I'm I'm super thankful that you wrote it and you're spending some time with me and 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 moving forward. Do you want to talk about what you got coming up in the future? It sounds like you may have some things coming up. Yeah, I've got uh, I'm building a, a a platform now, but it's uh, called the Comeback Builder, and just doing a bunch of things, a, a bunch of um, kind of strategies and initiatives around, as I mentioned, men over forty. Um, I, I think a lot of us felt like I did. And, and even now in my early fifties, it's um, how do I, or as a man in, who's at this age or at this point, how do I deal with all this stuff? If, if I am in a, a dead end relationship or I'm in a dead end yeah. job or, or my kids are a disaster or whatever, whatever's happening, I'm, I'm out of shape. I mean, I know so many people that, you know, they, they need to lose weight. They're on seven different pills. They're, mm. they're doing all this stuff. And I just think that I, I want to have a little different perspective. It's not a, a rah, rah. Um, and I love Anthony Robbins, but it's not his, his approach. It's a different approach. It's a more, I call it an authentic approach. Like here's where I've screwed up. Here's where I've failed. And here's the things that I'm doing now that are making a difference for me. And again, just an average guy who's doing this, not um, anything special. And, and I think I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of people will identify with that. Yeah, it seems like a good strategy, and Lord knows there's an audience for it. If we're all honest, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you, have you given any thought about right? Like sometimes I've I've talked to authors who started. They say every author's book is auto. Their first book is autobiographical. <laughs> have, you, have you ever given any thought to maybe writing like fiction books? It seems to me once you begin to understand the way the world works or the way your life works then you can begin building another world on top of that. And some of the greatest science fiction writers or some of the greatest storytellers of our time have been people that have lived interesting lives. Have you thought about writing any fiction? It's a good question. I've, I've been asked it a few times. I, 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 the only thing I write about, I'm actually working on another book is what I've lived through. Mm. Um, and this one's more a, a business. It's a, a, a idea for healthcare that we started right. that didn't work. Um, but and I talk about the whole process of 
of what I went through and why I think it could help the world anyways. But I, I can only really talk or write about what I've been through. I think to write fiction is I'm a huge Steve, yeah, Stephen King fan. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just not, I'm actually not that good of a writer. I'm getting better, but I think to be really good at fiction for me, you gotta be a really good writer. Um, and so I just, I think maybe someday I'll get there, but until then it's like, I, I just, and maybe too, it's more my, my passion is to write about stuff that I, right. I know about, um, or that I've experienced and, and I can kind of uh, relate to a little bit better, but I wish I could, <laughs> I wish I could write fiction. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember when I started off my journey, like, you know, reading as much as I could. And I started off in the world of, you know, the idea that fiction can be fun, but reference is much more enlightening. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, you start, I, yeah, I start <laughs> drifting into the world of like, mm, let me read this book over here. And then, Next thing you know, you're just consuming whether it's Stephen King or Brandon Sanderson or yeah. you know all these different fiction writers, and then it kind of dawned on me, oh, it's all fiction, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's all fiction. Like that story is really no different than that story, and true. this story is kind of better. That's true. You know, and like, and so it, it just gets back to labeling and stuff like that. But you know, you brought up the world of healthcare. Like, do you see? It seems to me if we look at demographics, I read an article and I don't know, I can't cite the article, but the article was saying something along the lines of there's 10,000 baby boomers retiring a day. And we know that the baby boomers are a giant, you know, a giant block of our society. And we also know that healthcare, uh, whether it's Medicare or Medicaid or even Social Security, seem to be in a bit of a crisis. How do you like if 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 you've if you were to put on your speculation hat, what do you think the world of healthcare looks like in the next 10 or 20 years? <laughs> well, I, I, I chuckle because, and we will, we'll have to do another podcast where we just talk about this. Cause this is about a four hour conversation probably. But the reality is I did, I did research coming from a non-healthcare person, non-healthcare background for five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're, we worked on this project. We, we went out, we were raising money we were doing different things, but so I got to see it from all different angles and the, the, the long, the short story of, of, of really long conversation is that throughout the system, a lot of things were, uh, there were unintended consequences mm. that happened as healthcare was built, um, that were very financially driven. And the problem with healthcare is it can't all be financially driven. It's not yeah. like we're buying a car or we're going to a restaurant to have a great steak. You have human beings, uh, physically, emotionally involved in this situation, life and death on on uh, are at stake, and and the system too. I don't think it was even created by the people who were involved in it. They just kind of yeah. naturally it happened. If you look at what healthcare costs back in 1960, you could go have a baby, and I think when you walked out the door, it was twelve dollars or something. I don't know, eight dollars, whatever it was. It was very minimal, um, and then as that's progressed over 30 or 40 years, all kinds of people started getting their hands in the pie yeah. and started realizing that we could make money off this. Um, again, that's, that's entrepreneurialism. That's capitalism. I, I think a lot of us are all for that. The problem is that healthcare, the health of people, the care of people got mm. lost in the shuffle. And the reality is, and, and, and I talk about this with our story in the, in the book is that um, there's no transparent market for healthcare whatsoever. Um, there, I mean, there's a little bit now, but it's just not real. I mean, if I want to look at the stock market and know what the price of Microsoft stock is today, 
I, I, I can do that. If I want to know what a house costs or a car, I can do that. Try to go find out what a surgery costs mm. or what a certain type of procedure, whatever it is. No, it's, and the range, can you imagine going to buy a car and you're going to get a, 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 what, a, a Subaru and the same Subaru, same year, almost same car is at one place, 49,000 and over here at 6,000. Same car, <laughs> same everything. Your first question would be, why? What, yeah. what? I don't understand. That is part of the problem with healthcare. And so the cost, it's, and we keep talking about the wrong thing, coverage. I hear that word all the time, coverage, cover, every politician. We need to cover everybody. Well, we can't cover everybody if the cost keeps going up and up and up and up. It's cost. That's the whole problem. We need a transparent market where we know about costs. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't, that doctors shouldn't be paid well. In fact, a lot of doctors are getting hammered in the process. Yeah. They're not making the money they want, they used to make. I'm not saying that. I, I think you should get compensated for what you're doing. The problem is no, nobody understands the market. There's no transparency and the costs keep going up and up. There's also a third party in most cases paying for it. If it was coming out of our pocket for most right. of us, we'd probably look at it a little bit closer. Um, but that's that's the problem. It's coverage. And now you mentioned elderly. It's like you've got millions of people who are turning uh, 65, 70, 75. They need special care. Um, the statistics still tell us the last six months of, of life is when we spend the most money a lot of times mm. is to keep somebody alive for six months that gets into all kinds of issues on philosophy and life and death yeah. and all that stuff. But, but that's, that's the reality. So anyways, I, I'm probably talking too much on it, but that's another, that's probably a good yeah. guess for us yeah. to cover is um, I, I can talk for hours, but I, I was an outsider who got into it. It's kind of like, almost like I was, I was a, became a drug dealer to see how people bought drugs. <laughs> It was kind of like that. And, and uh, so I know more about it than I ever wanted to, but, but those are some of the issues. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I think it's relevant with the book and, and your story and, you know, it's, it's something that we're all up against, I think. And it's, it's whether we want to deal with it or not, it's better to try to find solutions than pretend that there's not problems. I think. Well, and think of elderly care. I mean, you, you you're going to have, I think it's one or 2 million people a year becoming caregivers in the country, right? So every year, one or two million more people are becoming a caregiver and it's a hidden thing. It's like a, I mean, you don't go to a cocktail party and go, Hey, by the way, I'm taking care of my great aunt who has dementia and it's driving me nuts. I'm ready to jump out of, jump off of a building. Nobody does that. It's a hidden kind of problem um, because that's how we treat it all the time. But more and more of these people, and that's what I talk about too in the book is that you're going to, you have like an 80% chance that you're going to become a caregiver at some point, um, whether it's your mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather, sister, brother, you name it, friend, whoever it is, you're going to be involved. And there's some things you're going to need to think about. There's some things you're going to need to figure out, but it is, it's a, it's almost this hidden sort of thing that nobody talks about. Nobody addresses that what there's an elephant in the room and we need to talk about it. We need to figure this out. And, and as you mentioned, right at the start, why are we putting people away? Why, why don't we, 
why don't we get connected to people with our community when they're elderly? Why don't we get them involved like they do in other countries where they have totally different processes to, mm -hmm. to how they, they handle their elderly people. And we don't do that. How do we, we just hide them away and we put them in places and we, we throw them some food, <laughs> we do some things. And that's what was so, so strange for people would look at us so strange. They're like, like, Will, you act like your grandparents are your best friend. I'm like, they kind of are. We have this incredible, cool relationship. I mean, we go to the bar and have shots. You know, your 80-year-old grandma, and you're having you're having fun and you're you're doing things like that. And I and I know everybody's relationship is different, but to me, that's part of our problem. All these millions of people becoming caregivers, they don't legally know what to do. They don't know what to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's a loss of that empathy and love and and community connection. Yeah, I'm a little nervous for the future. I think that, you know, when you look sometimes I have a little bit of animosity for the boomer generation. I feel like they were given a lot and I feel like mm -hmm. they have these incredible standards for people because they had things kind of easy, at least in my opinion, maybe that's not Absolutely. fair to say, but they were given a lot. And now here they are facing healthcare and Hey, guess what? Remember all that stuff you never invested in? Maybe all, you know, all these lazy people underneath you, they don't really want to take care of you. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like on some level, I don't, I do feel horrible because I love my parents and I love the boomer generation. But a lot of it, they drop the ball on their watch and they're, they're, maybe they don't understand it yet. Or maybe that's what all this race to mRNA is or all this race to longevity is, is people scrambling like, wait, <laughs> yeah. we forgot to figure it's this thing out, you know? So it's, yeah. it's interesting. It's a, it's a good way to say it because I think, um, you know, and you, you hit on a really good point there, which was as you've got this generation of people who made a lot of money. A off ton. of the healthcare system. A I mean, ton. I remember, I remember being a kid, and it was like, you know, Bobby's dad is a, uh, uh, not a or pediatrician. Maybe it was a pediatrician. I don't remember, or maybe it was a primary physician, whatever it was. But, and you know, he makes three hundred thousand dollars, whatever it was. I right. just remember it was, it was a lot more than the average person. Right was making. And, and again, that's changed now, but there's a lot of other people um, and from that generation who made a ton of money off of it. And to your point, that's fine. But why, yeah. why don't we, why didn't we invest in systems to help this instead of that? It shouldn't cost $25,000 right. to spend a night in the hospital. That's, that's nuts. I, I, I just look at people and I, I was in rooms with CFOs of hospitals and insurance people. And I'd look at them and go, this is crazy. And they're like, well, that's the way it is. And I'm like, no, 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 this is, this <laughs> is nuts. Am I, I I'm, I'm, I, I, and I felt like I was the, maybe I'm the crazy person, but you know what I mean? It's like, and that generate that generation before us, they, they kind of facilitated this thing to get to that point. And now they're, um, and now they're sitting there trying to figure out what do we do about it? <laughs> nobody, nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows. Well, Will, I've kept you here way over the amount of time we were supposed to talk. I, um, I'm thankful oh, for no, your time. Oh, no, this is great. I'm, okay. This is fantastic. I, okay. I love it. Yeah, it's it's a good conversation. I'll, I'll have to have you back and we can get into more ideas about how we see things shaping up or we could talk about the new book or sometimes I do some panels and I just like to bring people back and have a great conversation. So, Oh, I'd love to. I'd, I'd be honored if you'd involve me. I, as a, I'm sure my kids would say I talk too much, but, but I, uh, um, I, I love this stuff. It's, it's near and dear to my heart. And, and I just, I love what you're doing. I love Thank you. your path. And, um, and again, your discussions on when you talk about the whole evolution from fear to understanding and from unconsciousness to consciousness and, um, all of the things that I think make the world a better place. So thank you for everything yeah. today. Appreciate the pleasure's it. The pleasure is all mine. But before I let you go, 
where can people find you? What do you oh, got yeah. coming up? I got and... to, I got the old copy of the yeah. Know, show real quick. Un- yeah. The unlikely please. felon. We played around with a lot of different names and um, it, it, a good friend of mine who helped with some of the early editing. And she said, what about the unlikely felon? I went, wow, I love that name. So yeah, yeah available on Amazon, all the typical uh, book sources and uh, lots of good. Re- I think there's 44 reviews now. It's been out for a, a little while. And I'm just grateful for all the feedback and and everything. And yeah, it's been uh, been a fun journey. And I'm looking forward to helping as many people as I can. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, um, the links will be in the show notes. Check out the book because it's something that I'm willing to bet if you read the book, you're going to identify with more than a handful of things in there. And it's <laughs> it's it's really a, a book about well-being, understanding, and family, and bravery, and corruption. And it's it's got every possible plot twist in there that all good books have. So it's Thank a really you. good one. And um, that's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, hang on for one second, Will. I'm going to close this out. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for spending some time with Will and I. And Check out the book. The links are in the show notes. And uh, check out Will's site. What's the name of the site? That, don't you have your own site uh, as well? Uh, yeah, unlikelyfelon.com. Okay. So that's perfect. You uh, can uh, read more about what I'm up to in the book and all that good stuff. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we got. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.